Hello, and welcome to another episode of All The Hacks, a show about upgrading your life, money, and travel. If you're new here, I'm Chris Hutchins, and today I'm talking with Matt Kepnes, better known as Nomadic Matt. In the early 2000s, he accidentally became one of the OG travel bloggers after saving money, quitting his job, and backpacking around the world. For almost two decades, he's been traveling, writing about it, and sharing how Traveler is easier, cheaper, and more life-enriching than more people realize. He wrote the New York Times bestselling How to Travel the World on $50 a Day, and later, after more than a decade of travels, he wrote a memoir called 10 Years a Nomad. We're going to talk about why travel doesn't have to cost as much as you think, how travel changes after doing it for as long as Matt has, what to do if you get burnt out on travel, we'll get some of Matt's favorite tactics for travels, and discuss whether $50 a day is really enough. We'll also talk about why travel insurance is one of the most important elements of a good trip, which Matt knows firsthand from a crazy experience he'll share about getting stabbed abroad, and a lot more than that. So let's get started right after this. I used to say I didn't think buying a second home was a good financial decision, but then I discovered fractional vacation homeownership, and I actually bought one with Picasso, and I'm excited to partner with them for this episode. Don't worry, this is not a timeshare pitch. Picasso buys amazing luxury homes in over 40 world-class destinations, then creates an LLC for each home so you can buy as little as one-eighth of the property and have real ownership. But it doesn't stop there. Picasso also professionally manages the home, handling design, cleaning, maintenance, bills, repairs, taxes, and more. And the scheduling system makes it fair and equitable for everyone to enjoy their home. When we first heard about Picasso, it felt like it was made just for us. That same week, we found the perfect place in Napa, toured it, and the next week we were closing. Since then, it's truly become our second home, and it's been so amazing. And it's true real estate ownership. Owners can sell at any time, set their own price, and tap into Picasso's active marketplace of buyers. In fact, on average, Picasso listings resell in 12 days with a 12% annualized gain. And until the end of April, you can own now and pay later with Picasso Now, which lets you put only 5% down and get the complete Picasso experience for 12 months. After that, you can pay the rest of the down payment and move to long-term ownership, apply your 5% to another Picasso home, or just walk away. So, for a modern way to buy and own a second home, go to allthehacks.com slash Picasso, where All The Hacks listeners will get a free Picasso Access account, which means you can see new listings before they go live on the website, and up to $10,000 in credit towards closing costs. Again, that's allthehacks.com slash Picasso, P-A-C-A-S-O. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. As always, it's fun to be here. Well, I have a lot of questions. I'll special shout out All The Hacks member, Alyssa, who sent in a ton of topics to discuss. But I want to just start off asking what you think the biggest misconception people have about travel is. I mean, I think the obvious answer, at least to me, is that people think it's expensive. I think less so now because so much is on social media and there's so many blogs and it's talked about. The vast majority of people will say, well, they don't really have time to travel. But if you dig, there's always time. But then they'll be like, oh, I just can't afford it. Because people think, oh, plane tickets are expensive, hotels, Airbnb. They see all these commercials and this glamorized version of travel on social media. And they just think, well, that's pricing. Travel is a luxury item, right? It's not a must-have thing. It's something you do to relax, to take a break. And so there's just this perception that this is expensive when 
it doesn't have to be because you always can go over to wherever you're going and just do the local things and the local things cost a non-touristy price. If you ask people like, well, how much do you spend in your own life? People have these very way off estimates. They're on the lower end. But if you get people to record all their expenses, even like, oh, I bought a water bottle. That's a couple bucks, right? Yeah, but you don't think about it. People actually spend a lot more than they think they do. And then when you balance that versus the price of travel, it's oftentimes cheaper. I live in the Bay Area. So anywhere in the world I would go has to be probably cheaper, except maybe Tokyo. Life other places is cheaper. I experienced this actually, it was probably almost 15 years ago. We traveled for eight months and we rented our place out at home and we broke even or even came out slightly ahead because it turns out we were spending more to live in the Bay Area than we were spending to travel. But I want to get into some of those costs, some of the ways you save money, some of the tactics you have. But I kind of want to get started and just ask how travel has changed for you. I know you have been in this industry for longer than many. And by industry, I mean writing and sharing your travels online. You wrote a memoir about what you've learned after being a nomad for a decade. How have things evolved for you personally and and in the industry? I started this when I was 25. I started traveling the world and I'm before you too this year. And so obviously my days of cheap meals and 12-bed hostel dorms is long gone. I like nice food. Since I work when I travel, having a place to work is really important. I haven't getting a lot of good sleep is important, so I tend to get my own room, hotels. I take a lot more paid walking tours or food tours. And so for me, the biggest thing is that my accommodation is a lot nicer and I take more paid activities. Whereas when I was 25, it was all about the free stuff, the hostel dorms, cooking your own meals. I still consider myself a backpacker, budget traveler. You know, I take public transportation. I love street food. I still do parks and local things and you know, go to the markets and all that jazz. I'm not a resort guy. I don't really do luxury. I mean, it's nice, but it feels very isolating to me. So that's the biggest thing that's for me has changed is sort of probably the nicer digs. And then how has travel changed? I think travel has become a lot more accessible than when I started traveling. Both the ability to do it and the ability to find information. When I started traveling, the internet was just sort of taking off as a means of like finding information in the sense that you had like forums and like blogs and all these places you can go to ask questions about where do I find this hostel? How do I do this thing? And so I was still primarily using guidebooks as well as just asking around. But between social media and the advent of so many blogs, there's nothing you can't learn with a quick Google search. There's no hidden restaurant, this hidden town. Like, oh, have you been? Yeah, there are places that are more well-known than anywhere else, but there's no place that's unknown in the age of the internet. Somebody has been there and they posted an Instagram from there. No matter like what little town it is, no matter where it is. And so that is really great because it demystifies a lot of the travel experience. It allows people to become more comfortable with going. It's not so much of like you're going into the unknown. It's like, oh, okay, I've heard of this place. I've heard of this thing. So maybe I'll go there. 
even if you're like so scared because you're going to a place you've never been, it's no longer like this fog out there. And then the advent of all these budget airlines and everything has made it just a lot cheaper for people to travel. Sometimes one of the ways that I get inspiration is I'll just search on YouTube and it's like, okay, well, what's this place like? It's like, here's a video of a person walking down the street and you can get a really visceral feeling for what it's like to be there. And I remember when we first went to South and East Africa, I had this one brat travel guide that was from 1998 because we were traveling for long enough that I couldn't bring a book for each country. So I was like, this was the one. You don't get a lot of feeling about what you're about to embark on there. It was more of a directory. And out of date, <laughs> significantly. Yeah, yeah. guidebooks, even in the best of times, are usually a year and a half behind what's going on. I never have used guidebooks as a price guide, just more of a rough guide. I think they're great about here's the part of town to look for. Here's some ideas of how transportation works. But I'm curious, you said now that you've gotten older, have done this a while, your digs have gone up. You wrote the book. People have referenced it in many ways about being like the guide for backpacking, about traveling the world on $50 a day. Do you think that still holds both in today's world, inflation pandemic, and as people age and want to experience travel, not in a hostel with 12 beds? Yes and no. That book was never about the number. A lot of people would get caught up on that. Like, oh, 50 bucks. Good luck doing Norway on 50 bucks. You're traveling the world on $50 a day. So it's a daily average. Some places, totally. Especially post-COVID, strong dollar. India, still very cheap. Parts of Central America, Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, still very cheap. But... Your average place for a hostel in Western Europe is probably 30 euros now a night. So it's very rare to see dorm beds, 10 euros, 15 euros. They're still out there, but they're harder to find and they're less common. And the beds are probably going to be like 20 beds. And I am going to redo this book probably for a post-COVID, post-inflation world. I'd probably up it to like a $65, $70 a day average. If you're doing the quintessential round-the-world trip, going to Europe, Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, South and Central America. And if you're coming from the U.S., that's going to be even better because the U.S. dollar is so strong. Will that stay? Who knows? When I planned my original trip around the world, I remember it was one U.S. dollar got you $1.30 Australian. So that's what my budget was based off of. And by the time I got there, it was one-to-one. So... I lost 30% of my budget because of that. I had to readjust everything. So it's less about the number and more about the style, like the tips, the tricks. If you're just looking for ways to travel cheap, forget about the number. Just use the strategies in the book. Okay. So let's talk about some of those strategies because I liked how you actually broke it down. It wasn't just, there are a bunch of strategies go have a great trip. It's here's what you specifically need to know. So how would you walk someone through the high level of planning a trip like this with the goal to do it on a budget? What are the kind of key strategies you think people need to follow? I think the biggest thing for people is one, travel slow. The more you can sort of spread out your costs, the better it will be. If you're moving around a lot, you're going to have high transportation costs and that really can eat into a lot of people's budgets. But the big thing is just really being flexible. Because if you can wait for that deal to come, then you're not tied into like, I have to get this flight on this day to this destination. One of the benefits of long-term travel is that you're in no rush to do anything. You can wait for that flight deal, that hotel deal, 
Or you can find a flight deal or a hotel deal and be like, that's where we're going next because that's where it's cheapest. And so big picture, always be flexible. Second big picture thing is to travel like you live. You in your daily life cook food. You don't eat expensive food all the time. Restaurants. You look for free activities. You take public transportation and you go for walks. Do the same when you travel. If you really want to get a taste of local life, go to the local farmer's market. Go take the train or the bus. Go for a walk. Sit in a park. Travel doesn't always have to be about doing things. It can be more about just existing in a place and soaking up the vibe. And so if you travel like you live, you're going to end up doing all the things that locals do because what people do in Berlin isn't different than what people do in the Bay Area or Austin. Everyone gets up and goes to work and takes the train and goes grocery shopping and lives their day-to-day life and then walks and maybe sits by the river. They do something, sit in the park, do those things. Let's pause for a second and go back to a kind of more macro question. When it comes to travel, why do you love travel? What is it about travel that makes it something that you've now, I guess, dedicated your entire professional career to and something you've spent decades of your life doing? I don't like to be bored. I guess that's one reason. When you're traveling, you're always doing something. I like mastering my own time. I mean, this is an accidental career. The goal was never to start a company. It was just to keep traveling for as long as possible so that I could have my own time, have my own schedule, do everything I wanted to do, just get out there and go explore and see the world. The world is a book, right? But the world is also a puzzle. And every place you go to adds one more piece. It's an unsolvable puzzle. You'll never finish it in your lifetime, but you just keep adding more to it. I just find people interesting. I'm also deeply interested in history and politics. And so going over to places and like learning about why they do things is just fascinating to me. It sounds like a lot of those things aren't always the paid tour, the Michelin star meals. Finding the joy of travel that isn't what you saw on Instagram, I think it can often make for the experience. So I'm curious, when you're trying to find those experiences, when you're trying to meet people, what do you do to connect with people? I think in today's world people are maybe a little more closed off than they were 20 years ago because they have their phone to distract them at a bar. It seems harder to meet people. Have you found ways to keep that kind of vibe going, especially now that you're not in the hostel, you might be in your own private room? Well, one of the reasons I still love hostels is even though I'm in my own private room at a hostel, you still get the vibe, right? So you can still go to the common area. I think the opposite is actually true. I think the internet has made it easier to meet people True, people are glued to their phone, especially in the hostel, in a way that wasn't true in 2006 when I started traveling. But there's so many apps and ways to meet people through couchsurfing, social media, Instagram, Facebook groups, Bumble BFF, meetup.com, walking tours, bar crawls. Like there's Lots of ways to meet people, and the internet has actually made it easier to meet people if you're open to it. And I think people are a lot more open to just meeting a stranger online. It's not weird to like, oh, there's a, this cool meetup happening. I'm just going to walk over to it because I'm new here. Is there any kind of mental checklist or things you do before you're going to a new place to try to connect with people, figure out what to do? What resources do you use to kind of 
crowdsource ideas of things that you might spend your time on. I know you do say leave a lot of your time open for serendipity. So maybe the answer is none. But I'm curious what kind of research you do in advance. Very little. Maybe read a couple of blog posts, bookmark a few restaurants. I try to just go there and see where the day takes me. Instagram, my Twitter feed. If I'm in the mood to meet people, like in the sense that like I want to actively like make sure I there's people around me, I'll either stay at a hostel or I'll look at like a expat Facebook group or meetup.com or something and see what's going on while I'm there. Since I travel a lot for work, and so like my travels are about like getting the price of food because we have to write a guide to it. It really depends on like, am I there for research purposes or am I there for fun? So if I'm there at a destination, because we're going to write about it, I have a mission. I stick to it. Yeah. You know, if I chat up locals and they're like, come to this thing, I'm like, okay, sure. But like my mind isn't like, I'm going to go join this group to like see if there's like a cool event going on. But if I'm there for fun, I most likely will do that. Where do I start? Help desk software, payment software, email marketing tools, CMS and blogging tools, SEO tools, deal management tracking, pipeline tracking. You do not need more tools to get more out of your business. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform is the ultimate business hack for all your customer-facing teams. You can create best-in-class campaigns and automate outreach with workflows that will generate more qualified leads for your business. HubSpot will also keep track of every prospect with category-leading pipeline management so you can close more deals. Finally, you can use powerful AI chatbots and develop a knowledge base to scale your support. HubSpot is built to deliver results, drive more revenue, and to help your business grow faster than you ever thought was possible. Try it for yourself today at HubSpot.com. Again, go check out HubSpot.com today. Whether it's researching investments, comparing performance, trying to read up on the news, or looking into a company's financial statements, it seems like there is an unlimited number of places to get your information, but my go-to site for all things investing is actually the same site I've been using for over a decade. It keeps getting better and better and also happens to be our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just getting started, Yahoo Finance has all the tools and data you need in one place. Well, Actually, two places because they also have a great mobile app. You'll get a holistic view of the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. It's probably why they've been trusted for over 25 years and by over 90 million users each month who are working towards their own financial success. So for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind so many great investors, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Any memorable experiences that have come from random joining things that you just found on the internet? I joined a couple of couch surfing groups when I lived in Paris a few years back and those people became my friends for the entire time I lived there. Back in the day, during my, the MySpace era, I met a bunch of people in a Thailand travel group. And we ended up traveling around Southeast Asia for like three months together. So that was fun. Our travels were at a similar time in life. And uh, it was the Lonely Planet forums. Yes. Where we would yeah. just like post, hey, we're in South Africa. We ended up meeting these two guys from Sweden. And... We ended up renting a car, buying a tent and all this stuff together. And we 
basically camped in a tent with them driving around Namibia, Botswana, and, and South Africa for three weeks. So I think that's still possible. It just sounds like you got to find a few different places to find people. Yeah, we do events here in Austin. And somebody came to one. I was like, oh, how long have you been reading the blog? Because I just assumed they had come because I was there and it's part of our blog thing. And she was like, I just found this event on Eventbrite. I don't know what this is. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. She's like, I'm just passing through. I was like, super. Well, welcome. I remember after six or so months, I kind of was ready for something different. And we were doing some slow travel. I'm curious, you did it for a decade. What did you do to avoid getting burnt out about travel? It's impossible not to get burnt out. You will get bored at some point. You will get tired. You will get burnt out. If you're just doing long-term travel, it becomes your day-to-day life, right? And eventually you need a break from that. In your day-to-day life, you take a break, you go on vacation. And if travel life, you kind of just sit in one place and recharge your battery. Travel is a battery. It's not some unlimited wellspring of energy. You need to rest at some point because everywhere you go, you have to relearn how to live, the language, how to get around, where to eat, where to stay, local customs, the streets. You're like relearning life every day and like it's mentally very taxing there's a reason why like when you drive to work all the time you can tune up because it becomes like a routine your mind just goes on autopilot when you're traveling there is no autopilot because like you're relearning everything and so eventually like you just burn out you need a break slow travel can really help that because you're not really rushing yourself a lot you're adjusting to new places at a slower pace. But even the slowest of travelers, eventually they're just like, I just want to sit. Even short trips I found can be a lot. And so sometimes it feels so counterintuitive to spend an afternoon on a one week trip, like watching a movie in your hotel room. But the amount of energy you can recharge by just hanging out and relaxing, I think is really valuable. And so... I think people very often think, oh, I'm in this country. I, I can't afford to not be doing something every second of every day. But sometimes you start to lose the appreciation for it if it feels like it's painful and it's work. So don't be afraid to take a break, even on a week-long trip for an afternoon. Yeah. you know, And if your goal is to like go to Italy for a week to like soak in Italian culture, spending an afternoon doing nothing is very much a part of Italian culture. Go sit at the piazza and just enjoy a cafe and just sit around and chat. People watch. They get a real sense of Italy that way. You mentioned customs and all the learning of a new place. I've had a few questions from listeners that ask about going to places that are very unfamiliar, whether it's the customs or the language. I'm curious what advice you have to someone. Maybe they're going somewhere in the Middle East or in Asia where the customs and the language are all totally foreign to them. What would you tell them to do either in advance or just to help them understand how it might not be as difficult as they might think? Read a book. You can't really know a place until you've read something about it. So I always find reading up about where you're visiting, a history book, if you can, or even just like current events book, something that just sort of gives you insight into the local culture can be super helpful. Additionally, like there's so many blogs out there in the world these days that you can read like on any subject you want and from local writers too. So like people that live in destination are now local bloggers that can really help you get a sense of place and understanding. Also a great way to get food recommendations too. 
if you find a local food blogger on Instagram, their audience is other locals, not tourists. So you're going to get all like the inside info. If you have a VPN and you can connect to an IP in the country, or maybe you can change your Google search to that country, you might get a different set of results than if you're searching from a US IP or on like Google US search. So I've sometimes found a better set of results when I'm searching for stuff online. Maybe there's a local search engine even, but if you could try to anchor yourself to searching within the country, you get maybe more relevant topics than the kind of travel guide from the foreigners overseas. I know one thing that I've heard you talk about, maybe more articulately than I can, is about communication. And I think so many people might assume that you need to speak a language to go lots of places, especially if you want to go off the beaten path. And so first, I'm going to ask, how many languages do you actually speak, given that I think you've probably been to, if not 100, close to 100 countries, I'm guessing? I speak pretty good Spanish, decent Thai, and I can understand and read French, though my ability to give a reply is very slow. But that hasn't held you back from going to plenty of countries that don't speak those languages. Oh, yeah. English is pretty widely spoken, at least basic English. Even if you're going off the beaten path, sign language. Everyone kind of knows the universal like cluck cluck for chicken. Choo-choo for train. People want to help you. And so you just got to give them that opportunity to just be like, this is what I need. Most communication is nonverbal anyway. Based on like your facial expression or like how you're miming things or body language, that can really help people figure out what you need. So never be afraid. And there's always Google Translate now. So like worst case scenario, you open your phone and you type in and it kind of gives like a okay translation, but probably enough to get your point across to people. Does it ever feel like cheating to you a little bit, having been to the type of travel where you had to rely on so much intuition or kind of hard work to communicate with people that didn't speak the language that now it's like, well, I guess I could just pull out my phone and type something and it'll be understood by someone that has no common language threads. How do you feel about this? I don't like it simply because I don't like pulling out my phone. In some parts of the world, that's not always the wisest thing to do. So I'd rather just do it the old-fashioned way. But I'm an old fuddy-duddy, so... I mean, if there was like an earpiece that did it, I would probably get that earpiece. Like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where they put that slug in his ear and he can understand like everything. That's what I would probably do. But I don't like pulling out my phone a lot because then you're always on your phone. It's like back and forth. You know, it slows down conversation. You mentioned earlier that now you like to stay in places by yourself, but you also like to go on a lot more tours that cost money. How do you find them? How do you make sure you don't get caught up in terrible tours designed for tourists? Are there review sites? How do you think about that? I do mostly like day walking tours or a food tour or something like that. Very rarely do multi-day trips, but best walking tour in X is really a pretty good search term. I'll read a couple of blog posts, and if the same company appears in a couple and their tours look good and reasonably priced, I'll probably pick them. You know, you can see star ratings. So if like 17,000 people on TripAdvisor are like, this is four stars. And then like three writers on blogs are like, I took this tour and it was really good. And I wasn't paid to say that. And you're like, okay, maybe it's pretty good. It's always good to look for the my unbiased opinion of... <laughs> I find that to be a helpful search term for almost any product. You're like, unbiased opinion, XYZ mattress. Is there any place you've been where you've actually found that 
just sign language and English weren't enough. And to be clear, when we say sign language, we're not talking, you know, ASL professional sign communication. We're talking more hand miming and gestures. But are there places you found that it's actually been very difficult to get around and communicate? No, not really. Maybe I haven't been to enough places that are like so off the beaten path, but I've always found that miming and like sign language gets you far enough. I want to go back to some of the tactics, especially around what you travel with. I know you're a fan of a backpack, but nowadays, what are the things that you take on every trip? Not the obvious things. I'm sure you bring a toothbrush, but what are the things that people might be packing that are different from how you pack? I honestly don't take much stuff with me because I started in a time where you didn't need a lot. And so if I ever need something like an umbrella, I'll buy it. Or if I need medicine, I'll pick it up on the way. I definitely take a towel. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy 101. Always have a towel. But honestly, don't take much stuff. I mean, I'm not a photographer, so I just use my phone. But to me, less is more. Like, what you need to take? A couple clothes, a couple of books, phone charger, and your phone. And I take my computer. I take a notebook to journal, backup credit cards, and that's really it. I take a flashlight. I think a lot of people underestimate the power of having a flashlight, especially if you're camping a lot or just out in rural areas often. Just having that with you is really good. But other than that, I don't take a lot of gear. I'm like anti-gear. I'm also anti-app. Like people are always like, what apps do you use? I'm like Google Maps. That's it. Like you don't need anything else. Get off your phone. Like put down your phone. Use it less. You don't need it. You mentioned backup credit cards. We could go probably for a while about travel hacking, but one area I haven't really talked about is how much do you think about banking and budgeting and that aspect of it for a long-term trip where you're going to need to access money and you need to pay bills? Do you do anything differently than you would if you were living stateside? So like I'm in this unique position where like I work and travel. So like money comes in and it's all a tax right off for me. So I will say that my recommendation for people is always to have two bank accounts. Like if you're an American, you should definitely have the Charles Schwab ATM card. There are no bank fees, no ATM fees. And if you get charged an ATM fee, they will reimburse your ATM fee. So I always have money there. That's my primary card when I travel. And if you lose it, they'll basically FedEx it to you anywhere in the world within 48 hours. But it's always good to have a backup just in case that gets hacked or something happens where you can't get it in 48 hours. So I always carry two, two ATM cards and at least two credit cards. Like I'll carry more than two credit cards just because I'm a, I have a travel hacker. Only ever go out with one. I only take my ATM card out very rarely. It's always home and just the cash out that you need. But that varies by destination. You know, like, I mean, in Japan, you can walk around with $10 million in your pocket and no one's going to do anything. Versus like, I wouldn't walk around Colombia with like a bunch of money or plastic in my pants. But at least definitely those two. And for the primary account that I have in terms of the Charles Schwab card, I only keep a few thousand dollars in there. So if somebody were to like, kidnap me and say, take all the money out, it's not going to drain everything. There's only a maximum amount they can take. What about passport? Are you bring the passport with you when you're out and about or leave it back in the hotel or hostel? I always leave it in the hotel or hostel. 
I know I've heard varying opinions here, which is like you always want to have some form of ID if something happens, if you get in trouble. And then the other is like you definitely don't want to have your passport lost, dropped, stolen while you're out. I bring my driver's license with me everywhere I go as a form of ID. Passport stays inside. The only time I will break that rule is if it's required for like a spot check on the train. Sometimes in Europe, if you're on a train, even if you're just like going between cities, it'll be like a spot check. But like just going out to like the bar or a restaurant or walking around, no. And if I were to ever get stopped by the police, they're like, where's your passport? And I'd be like, to my hotel, let's go get it. I guess like if you were in a country that required it and like you got stopped and there was a lot of corruption, you may have to pay a bribe. But nobody wants that paperwork. Like, oh, why'd you arrest this guy? He didn't have his passport on him. It's a lot of paperwork for nothing. The universal rule is cops never want to do paperwork. And every country has paperwork. The best will get a warning at the worst will pay a fine. Like a bribe. A fine. <laughs> With air quotes. Whatever you want to call it. Been in any of those situations? No. Where you've had to pay a fine slash bribe? Nope. Never. Our only one was border crossing from Syria into Lebanon and the taxi driver funny enough he was so embarrassed that his country would be the kind of place where you had to pay a fine that he paid the fine out of his own fare because he didn't want us to know about it but we were in the car for a few hours we asked about it he was like yeah the way this works is if you get to the border and you have foreigners and you don't pay a tip then they just hold you here for hours and that causes delays for me and you and our country's terrible but like at doing this stuff but i'll do it so i've never had to do it myself but i know the paperwork issue deeply because my wife was pulled over speeding in Bosnia and they were like sitting here like, oh, this is the fine. And she was like, oh, I don't know. We've just waited it out. And eventually they're like, yeah, you can go because we're not going to try to fill out this paperwork for your international driver's license and everything. I wish I could say I'm eating a fully balanced diet every day, but the reality is that I'm not. So I love having an easy way to get my daily nutritional insurance, which is why I kickstart every day with AG1 from Athletic Greens, and I'm excited to be partnering with them for this episode. AG1 has been in my routine for the past six months because I think it's the best option for easy, optimal nutrition out there. You take one scoop of AG1 and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. Every morning, I mix it up with some cold water, add a few ice cubes because it tastes so good cold, and head to my office feeling focused and energized for the day, which is a feeling I absolutely love. I also love that it has less than one gram of sugar and no GMOs, nasty chemicals, or artificial anything. To make giving it a try easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit allthehacks.com slash athleticgreens. Again, that's allthehacks.com slash athleticgreens to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This year, I'm excited to learn as much as I can from the world's best minds, and an amazing way I do that is with Masterclass, where you can learn anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace, and I'm excited to partner with them for this episode. With over 180 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. Seriously, I feel like every time I want to learn something new, I can find a class on that topic from one of the best in the world. 
Want to negotiate better? FBI hostage negotiator Chris Voss's class is amazing. Want to be funnier? Steve Martin and Judd Apatow both have great classes teaching comedy. Or maybe you just want to dive into the science of better sleep? Well, Matt Walker is the best in the world, and he has a class as well. I could go on and on, so you'll just have to take a look yourself, because the depth of knowledge the instructors have and the quality of the experience is so good. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class, and as an All The Hacks listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to allthehacks.com slash masterclass now. That's allthehacks.com slash masterclass for 15% off Masterclass. I just want to thank you, Quick, for listening to and supporting the show. Your support is what keeps this show going. To get all of the URLs, codes, deals, and discounts from our partners, you can go to allthehacks.com slash deals. So please consider supporting those who support us. One thing we haven't talked about that I know you have a pretty strong opinion on is travel insurance. What perspective do you have on travel insurance and It's necessity in a day where so many credit cards have lots of forms of insurance baked into them. I still think it's very important just as you get better medical care, like emergency care. It's really the only higher end premium credit cards with the $600 a year kind of top end ones, but you get really robust travel insurance. But even then, these aren't travel insurance companies. They're credit cards tacking this on. They're not really streamlined to like process claims in a way that a company whose like only purpose is travel insurance. A lot of these credit cards don't really cover good medical evacuation. And so if you just want protection on trip interruption or cancellation or something gets stolen, the credit card you paid that trip on is probably good enough. But if you want like actual medical insurance in case something goes wrong, you're gonna want something to pay extra for. And travel insurance isn't that expensive. So it's like, you're not paying like hundreds of bucks a month. Like you get plans for 50 bucks. Are there any providers you've used or what do you use when you travel? I use a company called Safety Wing. They're really good. World Nomads is also really good. For people having more gear, Insured Nomads is really good, but pretty expensive. And then for seniors, I would definitely recommend Insure My Trip because not a lot of plans cover people over 70. Oh, wow. Okay. Have you ever had to use travel insurance? Yeah, yeah. I used it in Colombia. I've used it in South Africa when my bag got stolen. I've used it in Thailand. So yeah, use it quite a number of times. It's coming very handy. It's coming handy for friends. I had a friend break their back in the Amazon. And they had to get airlifted out and then sent back to Canada. And travel insurance covered the whole thing. Wow. I think it's so funny we get caught up in thinking travel insurance is about my flight got canceled. But... It can be about a lot of other things. I don't know what kind of medical situations you've ever been in overseas. They don't end up being that expensive unless they're very extreme. And I can assure you that an airlift from South America to Canada is not something you want to have to cover on your own. No, no, that you do not. That you do not. Any situations you've ever been in? I think sometimes people think, oh, if I have a bad situation, I'll never want to travel again. I assume you've been in a a situation that might scare other people away. And I'm curious how it affected how you travel, and how or why you know it, it didn't stop you from keeping going. Yeah, you know, I got stabbed in Colombia, and my mother always sends me, like, every State Department warning about Mexico. But it's like, hey, we live in the States. People get gunned down going to Walmart. There are mass shootings all the time in this country. 
bad things happen. It's just part of life. It doesn't matter if you're home or in Mexico or in Thailand or in Paris or in Japan. Shit happens. You can live in fear and say, oh, I'm just going to never go anywhere. But then you walk across the street to a movie theater and then you don't make it out because it's a psychopath. Or you get hit by a car on your way to work. Are you really going to live in fear about every what if? If so, then like never leave your house. If you're up for it, I'd love to hear the story in Colombia. And maybe from the perspective of... I think a lot of people don't really plan for that. And so they don't know what they would do in that circumstance. And I imagine, you know, you're here now, so it all went well. How did you know what to do and and where did you end up going? And how did the trip unfold after that? Yeah, I was in Bogota. I had my phone out and long story short, you shouldn't have fancy electronics out. Uh, I just forgot to uh, put it back in before I left this cafe. And someone tried to take it and he jerked backwards instead of just going forward. So like we started tussling and then, yeah, he had a small little knife that I thought it was just punching me. I mean, if he had like shown the knife, I would have been like, go take the phone. But afterwards I was like, Oh, it's so sore. And I was just covered in blood. It's cause like he was stabbing me. Luckily it was a small box cutter. So it wasn't very big. I assume you went to the hospital and everything was fine. Yeah. The whole thing cost me like 50 bucks. The flight home was like a thousand bucks and I asked for reimbursement for that. But the 50 bucks, I was like, it's not worth the paperwork. And they could have done it for 50 bucks, but I did it for the flight. Would you go back to Bogota after that? Oh yeah, 100%. I love Bogota. I was really sad to have to go home. I've also been to Bogota. It's just a great place. I love the country of Colombia. I've been there a few times. Bogota is close enough and time zone good enough that I think you could even do it in a long weekend and have a great trip. I don't want to not do slow travel, but I think for those who don't have the time to do it, it's still a place that you can go in a short period of time because of the proximity. It's such a phenomenal place. I was there for six weeks and I'm going to stay in another six weeks. I want to... Just get some quick thoughts on travel hacking. I've obviously covered this topic a ton. You've thought about it a lot. Are there perspectives you have on it that you think are maybe a little bit contrarian to the average person who plays the points and miles game that would be helpful to hear? I think that people get too caught up in point value. Just for most people, just get a card, book your flight that works and don't like spend time doing it. People overcomplicate the simple. If you're a person who's going on one to two trips a year, one or two credit cards just to optimize spending bonuses is going to be more than enough. What's your setup for travel hacking? Do you, do you have a lot of cards, a couple cards? I mean, I have like 30 cards. Okay. Okay. Crazy. So. <laughs> but I also have this for work too. So it's like really different. And I travel like constantly. On my personal stuff, I use Built which is a car that lets you get points on your rent for free. And they have some good category bonuses that I use. And then I use the Chase Sapphire. For work, I either use an MX Gold or a Chase Inc. Any favorite tactics for redeeming? There's a great new website out called Point.me. And you can just connect all your stuff through an API and just search like where you want to go. And it will tell you where to transfer your points to get the most value. That's a really good news website. They're still working on some of the kinks. Like one of the things I don't like is you can't do a calendar view. You have to search day by day by day. Very frustrating. But it's a new program. So they'll fix it eventually. Yeah. When I talked to Tiffany, one of the founders, she basically said, don't expect that much. There might be a premium tier 
that you pay more for if you want to search more dates. So it's not clear that the full calendar view is coming, but I do like Seat Spy for that feature. They give you 365 day calendar view for a handful of airlines. So before we wrap, I want to go down one path, which is just inspiring people with some of the kind of off the beaten path places you've enjoyed that people might not be considering. I get lots of emails of people saying, oh, I have a trip coming up to Paris or London or Tokyo. But I think once you've kind of ticked off some of the most common places, you're looking for inspiration, you've done more travel than probably anyone listening. What are some places you think people need to put on their list to explore? Taiwan, Romania, Bulgaria, Mexico. I mean, like offbeat Mexico, like get out of like Tulum and Playa and all those places. I've been to Taiwan and it was fantastic, but a few of the others I haven't. I'm dying to know what set them apart from the rest of the world. Taiwan is just like very undervisited, great food. It's like clean China. South Korea, just great nightlife and food. Bulgaria and Romania, incredible history, ruins, small little medieval towns, like national parks and mountains. And you have the coast and it's just like phenomenal and cheap and not a lot of people go there. Mexico is amazing. Everyone's super nice. It's just a vibrancy to life there, plus the food. So you can see there's a trend. Where in Mexico? I think Mexico might be really easy for a lot of people in the States to start exploring and flights can be pretty cheap. What are the places that you think? San Miguel de Allende, Oaxaca, Chiapas, Yucatan State, not the peninsula, Merida, Monterrey, just a couple places that come to mind. It's a huge country, but most travelers stick to a few places. I mean, I love Mexico City too, so I mean, can't go wrong there. Other places that come to mind, Malaysia, I don't think gets enough attention. Sri Lanka, Nepal, just great places with like not a lot of tourists. Basically getting like a really unfiltered view of places. I think that's something I'm looking for now as we kind of evolve. But one thing that's changed for me, and I'd love your perspective. You know, we did a lot of travel solo, did a lot of travel with my wife, backpacking. And now we have kids for people who have a more demanding career, aren't able to work entirely on the road, have kids, have families. How do you think that affects the style of travel you've spent years writing about and living? What do you think that looks like for the years ahead for you? Well, you know, I think budget travel is a state of mind more than a style, like Oh, you have to stay at hostels or whatever. So for me, like as long as I'm still doing like the local thing, to me, that's just a bunch of travel. I don't think I will change that. I don't really like cruises. And whenever I stay at resorts, I'm like, everything here is overpriced. I just want to go eat like whatever the locals are eating. So I don't really see a lot of change happening in my life. And I think even as a family, things change, of course, but... As long as you're doing that local thing, and it's really just more of a like your mindset than it is like, oh, anything else. I think one thing that I'm going to change, and you, you already highlighted this, but just having less things to do. It's easy to get three or four things done on your own in a day and still have lots of time for exploration. With a family, it just feels like one. The goal is one thing to accomplish today and let everything else come to chance. Or maybe let your kids drive. We just had a great conversation with Derek Sivers who talked about how he traveled with his son and it was just 
let him lead and explore through their eyes, which can be very different from exploring through your own. This is really reminiscent because I did a eight month trip where it was just like yeah. this. And my wife and I did a lot of this before kids is just recognizing that a lot of what you're going to experience, like your example in Italy, is being in another place, understanding another culture, food, language. And that doesn't require seeing every museum in the town. It doesn't require ticking off every five-star restaurant. It can be a lot different and it could be a lot more rewarding to do that. And even more so if you get outside of the cities. Sometimes just yeah, where you stay, maybe don't stay in the most central part of town to force yourself to be around, you know, locals. Yeah, I agree. I think as you age, you slow down, especially if you have kids, you slow down. I don't have kids, but like I've had a lot of other parents who travel with kids say the same thing. They let their kids just go and they, their kids will just discover things and they then discover things. One thing I'm going to wrap with, is there a place in the world that if someone were going, you have a few recommendations, maybe it's because you lived there for a while, maybe it's because it's home. If you go to Paris, go to Le Dit Vin, Le Dit Vin. That's a great restaurant. L-E-D-I-T-V-I-N. How would you spend a day in Paris if you only had one? Wander and wander, get some wine, sit on the Seine, sit in the park, go to a cafe and just eat. Paris is just great just to be there. I don't disagree. If people want to stay on top of everything you're writing, traveling, posting, where should they head? You can find me everywhere at nomadicmath.com and nomadicmath on social media. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already left a rating and a review for the show in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I would really appreciate it. And if you have any feedback on the show, questions for me, or just want to say hi, I'm Chris at allthehacks.com or at Hutchins on Twitter. That's it for this week. I'll see you next week. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. So I want to talk about an amazing resource, the NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast, where every week, NerdWallet's in-house experts and financial journalists set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your money. The nerds have already helped me get smarter about saving money on groceries, avoiding some of the latest financial scams, and boosting my credit score since it's actually been going a little bit up and a little bit more down lately as I've been taking advantage of a few recent credit card offers. They also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life so you'll get the clarity you need to make smart decisions with confidence. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.